Uh, you know it just does weird stuff like this sometimes uh i don't i don't really know why um i, I just sometimes on zoom it, it acts quirky i've had to restart a meeting just to it's like uh blowing into your nintendo tape or something oh, all through the pandemic i threw i was running on many uh, zoom classes so believe me i know and especially when you have a bunch of people on there and uh, you're trying to sell a product it really can be a problem yeah, oh man, I was, t you know, I was teaching college right when the pandemic began and at a community college in Arkansas. And it just was, you know, it was that big, we, we all called it the pivot in higher education, but it was oh, no question. doing, you know, for a whole year. Uh, I, w I was in the classroom for half, for one whole semester, but um, we were just digital. Like then they gave them the option to be digital. But um, then, you know, after a year, we went back to all in person, uh, unless you were taking a web class. But man, there was so many, for me, I was, I was good with that, you know, um, I like doing video and stuff. Uh, and it was, it, it was work for me. But some of my, my buddies that I talked yeah, quick qu question for you, though, um, you know, I'm looking to start a uh, online class format. And I'm looking for other streamlined services. Uh, do you have any you suggest other than Zoom? Um, you know, I have used a few times StreamYard, right? And a couple of buddies of mine also use StreamYard, and it seems to be the most uh, streamlined. Uh, really? Yeah, you don't have to. I don't have to send you a link. Uh, it's it's not the same sort of format. Like you can pretty much just log in. Also, I will say this, Jim. Um, and I have not done these, but I've hopped on one of these. Like uh, the other day, my friend Kevin, he's a referee for the American Grappling Federation, like one of their top refs. And he hopped on there uh, and was doing a video, but then other people started joining the video. And this is on Facebook, right? So Facebook and YouTube have both created that feature uh, where you can almost do like a podcast, like what we're doing right now. But you see that I'm doing it, and then you just go join it on that platform, if that makes sense. And that's on uh, StreamYard? StreamYard is, uh, like I said, I've used that to stream. It's easy to You're access. talking Facebook and Yahoo. Facebook and YouTube. Or YouTube. You know, it's interesting because what I want to do is create a class, a uh, martial arts fitness class that people can wake up to 30 minutes, you know, warm up, stretch, 20 minutes of heavy bag work, uh, some calisthenics, stretch start your day you know most of us especially in my age group want some purpose in our training you know as opposed to just the old go run on the treadmill or lift some weights and i can you know i've done that for years i love teaching people how to get in shape through martial arts and and the only the only one the only way to be good at martial arts is consistent repetition so why not make your martial arts training your exercise and you, you just make it better over time well and i think that you're really touching on um where we're headed uh you know i'm i'm just getting into like live stream we have a yoga studio here at my martial arts academy where my studio is also at but um you know i've started live streaming some of the yoga classes they'll they'll want to do a special class and um we've got to a point where we're so large uh i have eight thousand square foot academy but um we have so much mat space cl multiple classes going on at once maybe a fitness class so we don't do spectators 
uh, like during, you know, two kids' classes going on at once. So we live stream that class, and uh, we have like a member group on Facebook, and we live stream into that group, you know. And, and uh, that has been uh, something we've just, you know, we're a couple years into this sort of stuff uh, for right. us. And I think it's going to get better, and we're going to evolve with it. You know, and I also like while we're on this topic, that's how I found who you were, right? Like, I, I think we do know some of the same people, um, you know, just like people that like my coach had trained extensively with Joe Lewis, right? But right. I found you showing Joe Lewis combo sets like the Benny. Right. Uh, I believe it was YouTube. It might have been social media, but then I. It's on, you know, a little bit of both. Yeah. I found out I was also following like a page and it could have been your gym page. Sure. You posted Joe Lewis stories and stuff. Like I would see you just post all sorts of cool martial arts history, really, you know. Um, right. But that's kind of how I even got. And then I added you on Facebook and have been following you for a couple of years. But uh, well, you know, it's Brian, you're definitely leaving the pack in a lot of this. And uh, don't you know? If over time, I do try to pick your brand a little bit because I've transitioned. I've you know I've gone from the school owner for, for 40 years. I was celebrating my 40 years. And I decided to go ahead and uh, basically go more towards social media, a uh, little bit more of personal one-on-one. -on -one. I am training. I got the UFC gym here that I'm teaching at three times a week. So I still have a group format, but no kids, teenagers, and adults only. Um, and just making that transition uh, into giving more people. One thing nice about online is it's, it's everyone. You're not restricted to just the people in your community or the people that are five to five miles away from your school. And if you can have a good message, and mine is predominantly um, is Joe's. I mean, you see a lot of the stuff I posted was out of the passion of Joe passing away in 2012. And, you know, this is not hyperbole, but there is nobody that can say they trained as long and as intensely with Joe Lewis than I did. You know, just he came into my brother John's and my life at a perfect time for me. I'd opened my school, my original instructor, Walt Bone, that comes out of the Junry system, um, had passed. So I'm this, you know, Ronan wandering around, and Joe Lewis, lo and behold, comes into our town and, you know, really first took John and I under his wing. And because of that, we fought in the 85 World Kickboxing Championships in London, Walker World Championships, and then got on the United States karate team. Now, if you know about my brother, John, John's, you know, NAPMA was hugely successful and currently is still very successful in, in helping schools uh, market their programs. And he's got a great thing called Empower Kickboxing right now that's doing very well. But for me, it was all about becoming a like Joe. This, Joe Lewis is so unique and Bill Wallace is somewhat this way, too. They only talk about martial arts. That's not they don't look at it as like everybody else in our business almost talks exclusively about how to make money at martial arts at this stage, as opposed to martial arts itself. Joe wasn't like that, you know, and I, I started working with Joe all the way up, you know, 85 world championships, 87 world championships, three-time member of the world champion, United States Pride team, actually five, and then won a world title under Joe Lewis. He trained me directly. I went up, I would go up to his house and stay in his house in Wilmington when he moved out of Florida. I'd be, you know, two weeks living with him, getting up in the morning running, going to the boxing chub, gym, and then going into the, his garage and, and working to the wee hours. I mean, um, I really got immersed in Joe Lewis's fighting. He pretty much erased. I was already number one tournament fighter in the state of Florida back when that kind of mattered. 
back in the 80s when adults predominantly did martial arts. And he took and kind of had to erase all that stuff. And he had, you know, it's so interesting how life works because, you know, he died in 2012. He had re, uh, you know, different versions of his manual were redone and, and different volumes to the last ones, you know, this thick and it's brilliant. And it's, it's what I love about what I'm trying to do with World Champion Martial Arts featuring Joe Lewis's material is incorporating some of the old with the new. In other words, when it comes to learning how to fight, you know, whatever works, works. And if it changes tomorrow, we change with it. But there is a certain amount of dignity and honor and respect that's, that's kind of gone away, gotten away from the martial arts, at least going to the guys who do it right, the guys who fight effectively. Um, and that's something that we're trying to really kind of preserve with World Champion Martial Arts featuring the Joe Lewis fighting system, also known as World Champion MA. Yeah, that, that, is, that is exactly the page that I'm, I was talking about that I see you post on. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was unsure. I was like, hey, if that was your gym or, or what, you know. And, see, this is another interesting. Yeah, I just had um, an interview with Dr. Jerry Beasley um, who with, karate, you know, Karate College. Sure. And he, he, went, to, went to a few of them. You know, and, I, like, all of the, you know, people that um, I would say of, like, your generation that I know have. So, like, I just reached out to him, and it was a great conversation, but I was talking to him about what he thinks, you know, we talked a lot about martial arts over the last 40 to 50 years, and I was asking him, like, what, you know, what do you think the next 50 years uh, is going to be like? But one thing he hit on, he's like, well, I think, you know, it's going to be much more about private and semi-private lessons and, and, you know, doing this sort of format that, that we were kind of hitting on uh, a little bit a few minutes ago. No, no question about it. And, you know, it's interesting because you think of, in terms of, of fighting and evolution, at least as a sport in this country, you know, there was a, when, when, when Ali knocked out Cleveland Williams, you know, prior, this is all prior before he, you know, lost his title at, and he had beaten Cleveland Williams so bad that the nation, the government was thinking of banning boxing because of the head trauma that was, you know, because everybody watched the fight. And Cleveland Williams got knocked out, right? And so at that point, even you realize it's, you know, they started put making Olympic Olympic fighters wear headgear. Now, of course, over time, you realize that absolutely no, no protection to head trauma. You won't get cut because of headgear, but it doesn't stop the head trauma. But the point being is everyone was concerned about that. And you look at martial arts, you look at uh, Mike Anderson, the most, most underrated person when it comes to um sport martial arts in America and the world, he co-created Waka with George Bruckner. And right now, Waka is by far the largest organization for fighting. But the, their main focus was to make it safer for the fighters. You know, put headgear on that was made of the same material as Mercedes-Benz dashboards. Have a glove that when it hit it, it, it reduced the blow to take away from the concussions and the danger and the, and the harm to the fighters. And that was, that was, that's what we kind of grew up with. We wanted to be tough. We wanted to fight, but nobody was trying to kill yourself. And, and you think about 50 years from now, what has, you know, you, you, back in the days when there was boxing, we all watched Tyson and all that thing. Nobody watched that and say, Hey man, let me go to the boxing club. I mean, it was just entertainment with a sport. So the, you know, the more violent it got, the more popular it got. And it's happening with martial arts. People used to watch martial arts, even the PKA, 
And the, the difference is the bowing, a little bit of respect, and the parents would watch it and they think that's a positive influence on my child. I don't think mom watches MMA and hopes her child becomes an MMA fighter. Just the way it's presented or how the fighters are. It's just different. It, it reminds me, and this is why Joe and I trained in boxing clubs. Karate guys couldn't fight. I mean, I used to go to the, uh, um, the karate college and Joe said, whoever wants to spar Jim, line up because I had a fight coming up. So I'd spar everybody. And they were terrible for the most part. Be one or two guys. That's I know that's an arrogant thing to say. But if you've gone into a real boxing and a fighting environment, like a boxing club, guys that are pros, my best bar partner was a 10 and 0 pro, you know, but what does he do uh, on the side? He's strong on for friggin' drug dealers. So who you were as a person didn't matter in the boxing club. And it's becoming less and less and less important of being a martial artist. And you look at a guy like Benny Akitas, you know who Benny Akitas is, right? And it's one of the greatest fighters of all time. And he talks about the Bushido code. He talks about how it's losing what we all for me to have dedicated my life to this, it's it's you want to think there's something more to it than just it's, you know. And it's so funny. It's like be careful what you wish for because Joe and I talked about this all the time. We'd sit up late night watching classic ESPN and watching boxing, and Joe would be breaking it down and all that. And and uh, you know he wished for the day of, of the skills you see now. He saw her developing. He's impressed. But I don't, you know, he's not here to, you know, to answer the question, but I don't know how thrilled he'd be with, with the fact that, you know, MMA, you know, leads the world in or major league sports and domestic violence. And, 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 and it seems to me, it's more about, I mean, you look at UFC and I, I love it and I love the skills and I watch a lot of it, but the idea that you can stomp a guy's knee as part of the sport really bothers me. That's a self-defense move. I've, I had a student save his life with that move, but you can do it and you can cripple the guy, purposely cripple a guy. So there's, there's extremes for me from when the early stages where you have everybody trying to protect the fighters to, you know, you say 50 years from now, I think they're, I think we'll be seeing live knife fights. I really do because it's all about the blood. It's all about the gore and the money and, and, you know, money corrupts all, you know, you know, completely. So that's, you know, that's the only challenge that I have with modern martial arts. It's just another sport, and it's a damn violent one, you know, but you got to love the skills. Yeah, now that's kind of uh, sort of the, the bread and circus metaphor, you know. Uh, you can liken this back to some other times uh, as well, you know, me as, yeah. me as a historian thinking about that, but you know, um, one one remark on the headgear, like you, you you made some great points, and I, I've you know commonly heard that you know when we were developing different forms of headgear for different martial arts uh, for boxing, like we do have a boxing club here uh, at my gym, uh, that you know it was like hey, some tournaments were happening on a gymnasium floor, no mats, people would get concussed and fall and hit their head. I've also heard this, and and maybe maybe you know something about it. Is there, you know, do you think there's any swelling of the head within the headgear and because it's laced up and, and strapped in that there could be some adverse effects to that in like, you know, a 12 round boxing fight? You know, that's, that's I'm definitely not of the education to, to uh, answer that question. That would be for maybe a, you know, a neurosurgeon or somebody who studies brains. I have no idea. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, uh, you're, you're talking about the, how karate tournaments now require headgear. These days, for a long time, I've been out of that for a long time. I would think they still do even more. It was actually happened in, in my area. I'm from Tampa Bay, uh, master, one of the Korean masters here through a big tournament. 
Guy got hit with a spin hook kick, but what killed him is when he, his head hit, like you said, the basketball floor. And from that on, nationally, it, it was required. So there's a lot of good reasons. You know, and taken from a guy, one of the reasons I quit fighting was cuts. I, I used to get cut all the time. Even with headgear on, I'd sometimes get cut. Um, so you see all pro fighters, anybody is doing their best in the actual training to reduce injury. And then, of course, you know, when it's time, battle time, you know, especially if you're pro, you're going to most likely not have the protection. But I do think they could do a lot more just in the in the, in, in, in protecting the fighters themselves from long-term injury. Again, take away that knee stomp, you know, the um, elbows to the ground when a guy's on top of the guy and you can pin his head and elbow him. It's not, especially if women are watching. I even, I've been on martial arts my whole life. I even sometimes have to turn away. Those are the things that kind of, in my opinion, really are going to restrict martial arts as being an activity sport. It's going to be like boxing where people watch it, but damn, I'm not doing that. Um, and I think that's already kind of happening. Is you're just martial arts schools, you either have one that's you know full of kids predominantly, or you have ones that are putting out you know uh, some fighters and that sort of thing. But the guys that you know you know just ran a school you know like they used to be in the 80s and 90s where um, you're not doing after school and still being survived, it's far far less. It's one of the reasons I got out of it. I mean. I like I like working with older adults now. I like working with teenagers. I you know I don't mind having a kids program, but I have no desire to do after school. And it's hard to really generate the income that you could back in the you know 90s and 2000s and 2010 because uh, the, the structure of the school is so different than they are now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this you know, and too so like modern you know the mixed martial arts ufc level competitions evolved to a point where uh there's less and less protection you have these four ounce uh gloves with hand wraps but um you know it's in there there are people out there that it, that are pointing out and advocating to push it even further you know you got the rise of bare knuckle fighting too right like yeah, that's what i'm saying you know 50 years from now they're going to give you any knives i mean i because it's all about blood and guts and that's what that's what sells the ticket and it's just change. And I'm, I think I'm more, you know, uh, uh, kind of just reflecting on how what I've known of martial arts, the difference when I, you know, the Joe Lewis is the Jeff Smith, the Bill Wallace is as the heroes of, of the martial arts athlete. And what we were trying to emulate as athletes right, is just so different than what you see today. And, and, and I, like I said, I don't see a lot of parents. I think if they saw martial arts because most of us especially when we were fighting we weren't making the big dollars and that was that's a big reason too you had to mainly most of us were either teaching or owned our own school or we came back to a school so you're coming back to families you're coming back to the parents or people who look up to you so there's a certain amount of honor that was expected really from a professional martial artist back then and we all because you know when i fought in the united karate team i mean i had troy dorsey you know Troy went on to win a world boxing title ray mccallum was one of my uh, teammates, Jerry Rome, uh, Linda Dentley, all the very, very best fighters of that, that era. And you, know, you talk to them about their reality and, and what's happening with them. And they all were tied to a martial arts school or they owned the one outright like I did. And it was a, just a different time. I never fought to be a fighter. I never wanted to be a professional fighter. I just wanted to prove to people while I was young that I knew how to fight and you should listen to me about fighting. And it's and it was also real interesting and kind of getting back to world champion MMA and what we're doing now, that is what separates Joe's material from, you know, if it wasn't for Joe, I would definitely not have continued in martial arts. I, you 
you know, even the junior side, very limited to what you can learn after about 10 years, seven years, or even five about information. And what made Joe so different? And, and I, I call them the seven champion rounds. Because when Joe and I used to train together, you know, we trained two or three day weeks together, mid, spar, all that stuff. But he was, he was still in his early 40s. He had just gotten done retiring. And then he'd go off, teach seminars for a week or so. And then we'd go to lunch and he'd write down, usually in rounds, what exactly what he wanted me to work. And basically, the first three rounds are the fundamentals. One thing Joe was huge on, which is very interesting, one thing that's become very popular in the United States as far as people training and whether they fight in it or not, is Muay Thai kickboxing. And it's so, you know, counter, it's so different than what I was taught. Joe really emphasized the idea of leadoff techniques, a really good jab or a really good lead kick that you could just really pop a guy over time, stabilizing the target, repositioning, utilize strategy and, and, and lateral movement and not stand there right in front of a guy. One of Joe's favorite sayings was, you're either moving or firing or you're standing there waiting to get hit. So that's where I come from, leadoff techniques, lateral movement, and then good what they call combination angular attack as the basics. And then you move into the more advanced. So things, again, things that Joe took from some of the best trainers in the world. You know, I'm, he would have been the first to admit he invent this stuff. This stuff comes from Angelo Dundee, comes from Gus D'Amato, all the best boxing trainers. That's why all the MMA guys now have boxing trainers now, not Muay Thai fighter trainers. Um, because the strategy of the boxing is they start developing broken rhythm. You start developing what we call indirect angular attack. You start doing setups. Things that are mentally now, you're learning how good defensive posture, but also how to recognize weaknesses in your opponent. You know, Joe is a big, and Bruce Lee too, what was that whole concept is you don't have a style. You don't come out there as a pressure fighter. You don't come out there as a defensive fighter. Whatever your opponent shows you, you become that. Joe was huge about that because when I first started training with him, I was very aggressive, big guy, didn't mind getting hit. So I'd get in there and slam with the best of them, even when I was young. But Joe's, you know, I mean, one reason Joe liked me because <laughs> that's a lot harder to develop than most people than most than anything. He pulled me back. I mean, he started me right off with footwork drills. I mean, he truly started me off like a white belt in the gym. And we're talking step, step, step in, jab, step, hook the bag until my arm was, you know, about to fall off. So he did that for me. That's what my system does. World Champion Martial Arts start is a structured martial arts system that starts off with good, good basics, good defensive posture, good positive jab, learning how to throw and rotate your body into punches. And then as you start developing those basic skills, we work in the mirror and shadow fight, and we work in um, on the mitts, uh, working on the heavy bag. And then we do what Joe loved to do is called limited sparring. In other words, we're going to go back and forth, but we're just going to throw the jab or we do combinations. And then you look at those, you know, those patterns that Joe created. I mean, it's, it's perfect. He made it in such a way that it's, it's a martial arts, a traditional martial arts system made up some of the most, fi most advanced fighting theories, fighting theories that are still being done by the champs today. That's what's amazing about this program because it's the truth. If you look at uh, Tyson Fury, the perfect example. Joe would have loved this guy. He's all indirect angular attack. He's all about breaking up his throat his opponent's rhythm. You see him, you know, shoulder fake, boom, boom, then pop him, you know, fake, step, step, fake, all that stuff. Joe taught me all that stuff. And I mean, that's why I could hold my own, even though I didn't have a whole lot of fights, you know, I could hold my own with Jerry Rome, Brad Hefton. I could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with those guys because 
they wouldn't hit me. <laughs> you know, Joe's so emphasized the idea of not getting hit that, you know, that's what, you know, that little bit of yin and yang, you know, that so some, you know, structure and also gives students something to achieve. Because if you don't have a fight coming up, if you don't have a tournament coming up, what is your motivation? But if you still can have, bring back respect to the testing system and striking systems. I mean, it's interesting how the uh, grapplers and jiu-jitsu was able to maintain the integrity of their system and striking arts have not. And it's a sad thing, uh, but something I'm trying to bring back. I mean, um, at least when I'm talking about adults, if you go into a, let's say this UFC gym I'm training at, you know, if you go to a jiu-jitsu class, they're all in uniform. Now, of course, they also use the uniform as part of some of the moves, the questions, but still very structured and very respected rank system. But if you say an MMA class, everybody just comes in shorts and workout. And they just kind of do drills. There's no goal. There's no, it's just over and over again to where I'm really trying to bring some kind of a, you know, a, a uniform that people like to wear or feel comfortable wearing, uh, a belt system that is progressive, but gives people something to shoot for, give them a long-term, you know, three-month goal and achieving a skill level to a year to three years. I mean, to five years, uh, something that has been done, what, for hundreds of years, still being done, you know, in some of the schools out there, but sometimes not very effectively. Because most of the schools now that have that ranking system are the Taekwondo schools and the ones that are predominantly focusing on kids. So it's kind of the idea of putting those two concepts together into a mature program that adults and teenagers would embrace. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I kind of just, just thinking here, it's almost like what, you know, we haven't, maybe you can shed some more light on this, but maybe we haven't seen the pure synthesis of the, of the striking arts. It, it, like we're looking at the UFC and, and it's supposed to be the highest level, you know, but I'm more looking forward. Like uh, the question I was asking Dr. Beasley is like next 50 years. What's that? You know, cause maybe, maybe, you know, everybody kind of tries to make this the Zenith of like, Oh, this is the peak of fighting. And, um, it maybe it's a devolution, you know, I, I, but I, you know, I think there's a lot to still be added with boxing with people who do MMA competition, right? And I think there, uh, you know, so many guys, uh, like I started training 2006, coming up, mostly it was huge. You do Muay Thai if you do MMA at that time was the, and, you know, I saw that kind of change. And as I got like in, into my 30s, that's when I really started following Bill Wallace around, right? And, and testing with him and, and learning from him and one thing i love about his system in, in seminars that i've been to the last five or six years is how much boxing there is right and and then i'm able to take kind of what he's done and synthesize and i mean why i'm chasing down and doing whole podcast with joe lewis guys is because i see this other you know i know they at one point trained out of the same uh same like school in okinawa but developed these I've got, uh, you know, uh, Joe's manual that you mentioned in his book. Uh, and then I've got Bill Wallace's curriculum, train with him, go to his seminars whenever I can, got a testing coming up. And it's like, oh, two different systems. And I feel like guys that are getting into MMA are not looking at that stuff. Some of them are. Uh, just recently, do you remember a, a fighter named Joaquin Buckley who had the double touch sidekick knockout? Yeah. Well, he was on joe rogan's podcast maybe a month ago and right out the gate he's like oh what is this sidekick wow you know and he's like super foot wallace benny the jerk your kid 
you know, and just he's like, oh, they, wow. and they start pulling up videos, and Joe's like, I'm seeing uh, Superfoot on Superfoot Dojo, the the sort of online dojo yeah. training that he does, the yeah. class, and um, Joe's just like, oh, he looks great, he's still doing it, you know, but he won't. Think- I tell you, Bill is amazing right now. I've seen him not that long ago. You know, I haven't seen him personally. I, he he was in he he coached me and. And I, I spent a lot of time with Bill in karate college and so forth. And, and he's always with a cut up and always so talented. But I watched him just recently on video. I just couldn't believe how well he's still moving. It's, 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 that's inspirational as hell. It really is. You know, and you can't really appreciate it. I'm turning 60 here this year. It's not until you get to this age and you see a guy at that age move like that and going, holy shit, that's amazing. Yeah, and he's still like, I mean, he's done it to me twice recently. He can still fake me out hard. Oh, yeah. It's just like, I'm going to hit you here. Put your hand here. Don't let me do it. And yeah. it still does it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, it, I mean, you're, you're right about that. And you look at the evolution of of MMA. And, you know, at first it was almost extreme, all grapplers. And then you had some guys that came in and could do some really, you know, heavy punching. Um, you know, Liddell and those guys that started to dominate. But what I heard and Joe talked about was, in the beginning, apparently the rings were very squishy, which was very hard, much harder for the, the, the strikers to be successful. And they've apparently hardened them up because you do see now more fights ending with striking. A lot of times it turns into a, a kickboxing match or if they go down, and I've always said this, and I've done a certain amount of judo and jujitsu, the defense, learning how not to get choked out and learning how not to get armbarred is a lot easier. And almost, I'm not saying easier, but it can be... To, you can at least get the point with some skill within a year to be at least neutralize somebody who's trying to do to you. To not get punched and kicked by a real good striker is really, really hard to do. You know, it's reaction time, it's defense, it's head movement, it's positioning, it's not being on the guy's firing line and standing there. All the things that go into good defense is much more complicated. And that's where I like Joe, because that's who I train with, because he went into those ideas on how to, again, you know, set your opponent up, read the guy, whether he's a, a, a pressure fighter predominantly, and then this strategy of, of getting off first and then moving, or the guy, you know, more of a counter fighter. Now you're going to try to make them re- move his feet before you attack them. Those are, you know, basic concepts that you can teach people. The average person, guy 45, 50 years old, who wants something more out of it, can get into And now you can watch any fight, and he now looks at it from a different perspective. He's looking at it from lead off and starting to learn from that. And I, I think, you know, the mental aspect of martial arts, especially as we get older, of an integrating the mind and body, not just, you know, how tough can I be and get out there and do it, but to really understand it is, is, is endless. That's what Joe gave to me. That's why I can still dedicate my life to it. Because when you look at it from that point of view, there is no knowing it. You know, I've always said martial arts is in two plus two. You never know it. You know, it always has to be improved upon. And because you're dealing with such a wide thing of reactionary and, and, and the mindset of your opponent and, their, and, and everything, it's endless. And I just like to keep that, mind, that, that focus, you know, as I get older and as I teach, to not just dummy it down, not just say, hey, just do this, you know, but to give people that insight into it. I, I say this, you know, as I, I again, uh, getting older and having taught martial arts for 40 years, and you know this as an instructor, if you have an older student that's you know, 70, especially or 80, you know, you can see the disconnect between their mind and body. 
I mean, it just happens over time. Unless the person has been doing some type of dance or some type of coordinated movement over that time frame, the difference is night and day. And martial arts can be that, you know, because it works everything. You can work both sides. It's, it's not like, you know, a lot of sports where you just hit with one side and, and run on the other. It's such a coordinated motion. And I think it can be really sold that way to people, um, especially people who are looking not to become fighters, but at least want to explore something that's a little bit more uh, intense and, and, and complex than, you know, just hitting the heavy bag or just working out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, have you, have you charted any, um, this has popped into my mind a couple of times since we've been talking about this, uh, what boss Rutan is doing with his fighting organization? I do not, you know, it, I had, I had one, I had <laughs> one run in with boss Rutan many, many years ago. Um, and Madam, I've always had tremendous respect for him. I've seen his videos and I, you know, I've never seen a guy that was better at teaching how to fight in the street than boss Rutan. Uh, quite an interesting character, to say the least. For, yes, and I, you know, I haven't. Uh, I heard him talking about it on some different podcasts, but he's he started a fighting, uh, like a karate fighting sort. Of, it, it looks like kickboxing. There's sweet sure. takedowns. Um, I saw a highlight of it the other day, and there's there's knockouts, and, and but but they're wearing headgear and stuff, and but like a lighter gloves. It's almost like very a very evolved uh, full contact or something. You know, sure. uh, rule set, but they are fighting in a not, you know, you remember the how the Chuck Norris ring like went, it was like down in a dome yeah. almost, right? Trying to get everybody in the center. Yeah, so it they're fighting in something like that. You know, we have boxing rings, we have. So, so is, this a, is this an organization or is this just his training? It's an organization. It's like a fight circuit he's doing. Um, and like I said, I, I don't know a lot about it other than. I remember when he started rolling it out and it's it's interesting like i said they do a lighter glove than a boxing glove but they're uh they're wearing headgear and i believe shin pads and but they can you know they can i i, I, I really like shin pads you know it's interesting you say that's one thing about ufc you know you know when i i there was a time where i really focused on fitness and martial arts i created cardio karate and then i had my ultimate body challenge ubc that i licensed pretty much you know all over the nation and i knew one of the guys who was or this gal who licensed one of my programs she was the cfo for the k1s out of in uh in uh, vegas which i used to go to and thoroughly enjoyed and she said the difference between because she had worked with full contact pka events mm -hmm. the difference between guys going to the hospital from K1 compared to, you know, going from the hospital because of PKA was, you know, usually PKA one or two, well, usually over half or three quarters end up in the hospital after K1 participating. And, and if you ever seen K1, you always have eight guys, no shin guards, you know, this basically kickboxing, but it's a tournament. So you win and goes three minutes, three, three minute rounds, three, two minute rounds. I mean, I think it was, I can't remember it, but you have to fight again. And most of the guys couldn't finish the whole fight. And I'd say 99% of that is because they don't have shin guards on. Because if you get hit with a, 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 a kick with a vet with a padded glove like PKA, you know, it might knock you out, but it doesn't break your eye orbital or shatter your face. A bare shin to the face, a bare foot. And that's just one thing I don't, I don't think adds to the sport. But 
you know, I, I'm, a lot of people would disagree with me on that because they want the blood, they want the breakage. But when you break someone's face, I mean, I've seen some of these fights, and you know, especially some of the girls, and their head is out to there, and I just just I shake my head. I sure as hell, my, I've not pushed my son anywhere near that stuff. I mean, um, I, I just don't see how that, for martial arts, as we understand martial arts, how that's going to be good for us uh, when we try to talk more than just, you know, how to crush people. There should be more to it than that. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, so talking about like different rule sets and different organizations, like, is there, you know, one, one thing I, reason I remark on this, you know, like the Chuck Norris, how they fought in the, in the sort of dome style, uh, we have this cage rings, like it's interesting to me too, that people are still falling out of boxing rings after they get knocked out, you know, like that we couldn't just extend the apron five feet out on each side. No, 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 you're right. Oh yeah. Yeah. But that's part of it. People, people love to see people get hurt. I mean, that's the sad part about it as I grow older and truly understand it. Um, you know, when, if you, when you go from a participant sport or participant mindset to just a form of entertainment, um, you know, now, you know, people, well, they've, they've done it for a reason because people falling out the ring and then falling to the floor or falling into the table of the announcers, you know, is big stuff, you know, and they, you know, the fighter be damned, you know, it's just, it, it's just, you know, having been around the fight game as far as, especially in the boxing club and it's a brutal sport, man. I don't care what, especially in MMA, most of these guys don't, you know, for every guy that makes a, even a dollar out of it, you got so many guys are just fodder. I used to, when I sparred, I, some idiot 40 year old would get in with her with me and I had no, I didn't take an easy on him and he's taking shots that he shouldn't be taking at that stage in life. Um, people just don't realize it. I mean, there's a lot of guys that end up very, very hurt or brain dead within 20 years of, of, um, getting their heads bashed in, usually not from fighting professionally as much, just going in the gym and having bad trainers or training with guys you shouldn't be training with and uh, getting hit too much, you know? And I think UFC, because now you're, you know, you're yanking on the arms and, and everything's fair. You're just, these guys are enduring far more injuries than I ever imagined that could be from fighting. Um, and then you look at boxing, it's a brutal sport, but there's one thing they have to worry about predominantly is head trauma. And, you know, of course you break your jaw and all, but that's about it to where a lot of the other, you know, the more you expand it and the more you take off the gear uh, and you go bone to head, you're just expanding the injury rate. I mean, um, G for the uh, pen, um, Recently, I, I saw a list of his injuries, and it was like this long. BJ Penn, and he's still trying to fight. I mean, he's. I mean, the thing, the necks, the pins. The. I mean, he was a mess. Uh, and I don't think that's uncommon. I, I think these guys are. A lot of these guys are getting seriously effed up um, after they get done with this career, and it's sad. It really is. I hope they get make enough money for it. Um, I just wish they, like I said, I wish they'd do more things to protect the fighters. Well, and I think that even these UFC level guys that were even at BJ Penn's level, if they weren't extremely um, intelligent and planned and, and invested, you know, they're going to have to rely on running an academy or something like that because that's the skill that they have. And, you know, I know people that were in the UFC or – uh, just people I know now that have like just amateur boxed only who you could say are punch drunk, you know? Like yeah, right. Exactly. I, I have two of my best sparring partners 
I saw not too long ago. They're just gone. One guy was Polish, had to go back to Poland because of free health care. And he's just gone. He's like he had Parkinson's. Marek Piotrowski, I don't know if you remember, remember Eric Merck, was a, a world kickboxing champion, then got became a top 10 boxer later on, which is about the worst thing he could possibly do. Um, he gave, um, he beat Don Wilson or gave Don Wilson a hell of a run for his money. I mean, great fighter, great sparring partner, loved the guy, but gone. And then the guy that I used to be best sparring partner, one of the best ones I have, Southpaw, big, huge black guy. And um, you know, last time I saw him, he was gone. We can just, you know, he was been a sparring partner for everybody. Stepping stones. But, you know, that's again, you know, we start to move away from a participant sport and a um, spectator sport. When we fought, like I said, we were all attached to schools. We, you know, you look at it, it's much easier for me to go out of fighting. And, you know, back then, you know, you had cable, so it was cheap. You could promote your own thing. And, and there's a lot of opportunities to get your name out there much easier back then at least locally um because you get it yourself on tv i did a, my very last fight three rounder against this kid that looked like Dolph lumper beat the crap out of him everybody was fabulous it was great and it ran for like a, a twice a week for two months it was just it was on all the time one of the best marketing tools I've ever had can never do that today um and but for me i already was running a school so it was easy for me to detach from that and come back to running a school and then you know the ability to get in the, a good school owner is someone who can get in front of a large group of people and motivate them. If you don't have that ability, you are not going to be a good school owner. I mean, that's just it, uh, in my personal opinion. And, and, you know, as I was saying, you know, leadership doesn't have to always be positive. I know a lot of guys who were, you know, great leaders in martial arts were not very good people, or I, but they led their people to it. I think it was very good. But for the most part, it takes that personality. But to be a fighter, just to be a pure fighter does not require you to be able to go and relate to people and to convince somebody that you're going to help their child, you know, for the long haul. So that's a that's a tough transition. I think that's why you don't see pro boxers who retire and opening up a boxing club and try to sell themselves. Because, again, what mom wants to bring their kid to that? You know, who wants their kid to be an MMA? You yeah, ask most parents, do you want your child to be an MMA fighter? And it's like, uh no, you know, you say, well, would you like to be a professional martial artist that, you know, teaches children, helps the community? They're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Um, so the, the disconnect is happening uh, where it used to be, you know, like the PTA did so much more catered to the schools of, of what we're, we're trying to teach. And the guys who are fighting represented that. And now because of the money, um, they've gone, gone, in my opinion, they're two separate ways. I don't, it's very difficult. You know, unless you can find a good instructor, and this UFC gym has done that, and you got a young crowd, it's probably guys, you know, 20-year-olds and, and 30s, and 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 want to learn it, but don't want to fight, don't want to have the, you know, the head trauma, but still be able to move around, whether it's with uh, Muay Thai or with Jiu-Jitsu, you know, you know, I think it can be successful, uh, but it's just a completely different business than it was uh, when I did it back in the day. Yeah, you know, and I think this conversation is to be had. You know, I have a, a white belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, white belt with with Bill Wallace. Uh, had my first degree in Judo, and it's almost like if you look at any one of those martial arts, or you looked at um, you know striking MMA, there's this conversation that's had within it with with anybody that's a lifer. You know, what I would call like just a lifelong martial artist about like the, you know. 
this is seems to be a lot of a conversation we're having about what the stylization of sport is doing to martial arts. You know, and that same conversation is had in each martial art, like Olympic judo, for example. Like, you know, them taking it, you can't grab the leg. You can't grab anything below the waist. Well, for, forever you could, you know. Uh, but you just look at the history of that art and how the Olympic judo now uh, is this evolved thing that looks like it looks because of the stylization of the sport, you know. And it makes it look a certain way, which, you know, might not be in line with how we're seeing the potential of the art, you know. Um, it's, uh, but that's interesting what, once you start putting rules together and, and making it entertainment and making it, uh, you know, a part of popular culture, because I mean, now MMA is like, you know, you flip on ESPN sports center today, you're going to, they're going to be talking about John Jones all day for sure. Yeah, no question about it. And, and a lot of that I like, I mean, there's a lot of things about it. You know, I like, I, I still like watching UFC. Um, I, I you know, I, I have you know, I had love hate relationship almost with uh, modern martial arts because again, I love the fighters. I love John Jones, but you look at also him. He's been suspended four times. He's you know he's on drugs. I mean, he's been caught taking steroids. He's done a lot of things that were you know again. Do you want your son saying, "Hey, that's my hero"? You know, I think that that stuff should still matter. I just I just do, and I think that's where. If you had to ask me where UFC really lets us down and, and especially now that you start bringing in the gambling, I mean, and I'm not, you know, I'm not accusing anybody or anything, but you know, fight games is, has always been the most corrupt form of, of, of gambling because you're dealing with so little people, you know, you got a manager, you got a fighter on, on each side. It's the easiest sport in all the fix in the world. And that's why it's always been so corrupt. You know, what is, what's that going to have effect in the long term? You know, people are going to start questioning, you know, did that fight last night happen because, you know, let's end it quick and then we'll get a quick rematch. We'll double our money. I mean, I'm not saying that happened, but I'm just saying it would be easy to happen. And, you know, uh, and corruption is not a, you know, something that can happen to, to uh, uh, any sport. And when you're dealing with, you know, when the money is all that matters, uh, it's just interesting to, to what might happen in the future. And especially when you're dealing with guys that don't seem to really care about their image they don't care about the child you now and, and the kid that's trying to be influenced by them um, that's what i think we, somebody should be talking to them a little bit more that you're representing more than just yourself and that's that, that's hard for people to understand but if you're looking at it from a martial artist perspective and trying to make it something more than just any other sport and you talk about systems and that and i understand that's one of the things i do love about uh ufc and the sport is because you get away from which system is what we start realizing it's just what's appropriate in that moment against that opponent. That's all that matters. Doesn't matter where it came from, who taught it. Is it appropriate in that moment in the, against that opponent? Um, and uh, that again gets back to Joe as, as, as looking more analytically than just the skill level of being able to read people and trying to understand what's going to work. And then developing those skill levels, and and I think that's one thing I really love about it, you know, UFC and what's happening now. Because back in the day, there was so much bullshit. There were so many paper tigers out there, and guys that were just teaching such, you know, you know, tap them on the chin and they fall down and die, or or you know, you can pull his heart out and see it beating. I'm mean, not actually have people asking that shit. I mean, people are so naive of what really worked. You know, at least UFC has told people that you know, fighting is a skill, just like 
hitting a baseball is or anything else. And if you want to be good at it, you can get good at it. You just have to do it over and over and over again. And then that's why I tell, especially you know, my students, is you know, what's the best way to get good at martial arts? Consistent reputation under the guidance of a good instructor. Well, this is why you do classes and bag work and all these structured programs, because that's what you're getting. You know, you're getting something more than just all right, go ahead and hit the heavy bag. You say, all right, round one, we're going to do leadoff techniques. Round two, we're going to do lateral movement with our leadoff techniques. Now, three, we're going to put combinations together. Round four, we're going to go ahead and work a little bit of broken rhythm. Round five, we're going to do indirect angular attack. You know, that kind of mental approach to it doesn't have to be just for the fighter. It can be the, for the guy that just wants to make his bag work more interesting. You know, and, 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 but then you can then, like I said before, turn it on TV and see these guys doing it. And I... I, I, I because uh, you really are, you're looking and seeing much more evolved fighters, especially from the striking perspective. You know, when you had the Chuck Liddell and those guys that were just winging it, you know, just standing in, going against guys that you, know, you couldn't defend against, you know, that punch, and then evolving into some really good strikers now, guys that are have, you can tell, good sharp boxing skills, understanding distancing, you'll see them emphasize a lot more lateral movement. Uh, getting on on the inside, throwing short punches, you know, learning how to turn their hips, all the things instead of just you know the wing it that we saw before. I'm impressed by that, and I can tell that there's they're getting to you know I think most of that's coming from the box and boxing coaches, um, as, as opposed to just standing in front of a guy, you punch and kick me, I punch and kick you. That more mentality of the Muay Thai. Um, so scientifically, I think it's better. John Jones is a perfect example of that. I mean, that's a guy that would do everything. You know, great grappler, great striker, great kicker, everything. Um, an amazing fighter. Really is. Technically, I think he's the best, especially for a big guy I've ever seen. Um, super impressed. Super, super impressed. But, you know, again, you know, the caveats of there should be more than just, you know, being a champion and making money. At least in my opinion. I, I mean, I totally agree. You know, um, that's, you know, you mentioned, um you know, sort of the, the, the sport being connected to domestic violence. And, and it, this is just something that, you know, we've <clears throat> dealt with this and I've had talked with multiple guests on the podcast about this, even recently, it's, it, it's almost that own schools that are, you know, teaching martial arts. And it's, it's almost like at the, you know, level, if you're not like a Jackson Winklejohn type of a camp, you know, that has a stable of these pro fighters, the people that come into you, that want to learn fighting, um, and we're not, I'm not talking per se kids, uh, but you know, uh, later teenagers into adults, most of them are not people I want to deal with, you know? And it's like, I have shifted a lot of what we do with, with the fighters to, yes, we have a, a class, but also some private, semi-private training, some cross training, sparring with, going and sparring with other gyms, people coming to us, Instead of it being, you know, I'm going to keep this huge stable of these you know, people that don't have jobs and cars and think they're going to make it fighting at an amateur level when it takes, you know, years of. Oh, take from someone who knows. I mean, I had a stable of fighters. You know, the first guy not to pay you is the guy you're training the most, the guy that has a fight coming up. You know, he's not going to pay you. He, he, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, that's, I've, I've been there and, and you're right. Um, you have to cater if you're going to make it in a, in a martial arts business to people that are not looking to and you have to be able to convince them that you're not going to kill them 
Um, but it's hard when they see it on TV. And most people, when they see, you know, the old saying when Junior used to have a, you know, sidekick and the guy was folded in half on the sidekick was one of his ads, you know. And over time, people realized people never saw themselves throwing the sidekick. They saw themselves as a guy that's being bent in half. And I think that's, again, what's happening with UFC and that type of thing. People don't see themselves as a guy on top, you know, the arrogant, you know, one in 10 guys that, you know, thinks are the greatest maybe. But for the most part, you don't. You're thinking, seeing yourself possibly being the guy on the bottom. And it's interesting. I, I even, I don't, you know, when I reacquired my school about six years ago, I won't get into, you know, the whole reason why things have changed, but I really purposely, when I started especially marketing kids and adults, eliminated the term MMA just for that reason. I did not, as I used to say, I don't want to, the tattooed thug walking in my doors. And I say MMA, that can happen, you know? So I've always avoided that. And that's why I use the term, uh, you know, the, the, uh, progressive, you know, multi-dimensional you know, system utilizing striking as well as grappling, taekwondo, karate, a mixed martial arts. But just to get away from the MMA, because I don't want that guy coming in. And, and, and um, because it's just not good for business. Not only is he not going to, might be a challenge in the future, he can chase people off. I mean, if you've run a school before, you know the guy that comes in, you know, that doesn't take a shower or whatever that you have to then go confront and deal with. Um, it's never fun. So it's a good idea to market yourself to attract as little of that as possible. And so because so then on the school owner side, you can't make money really off the MMA people going and watching it. Because again, the only guy being inspired by MMA is the guy that sees himself winning the ground and pound when the nine out of 10 see themselves on the bottom. So you have to find a better way to do it. You have to find a way to try to let people you know, see that so much more to it. Now, of course, with kids, we can always talk about the discipline, the structure. And if it's done properly, I'm a big believer. My son, did, he got his black belt. And if it's done properly, it's the best thing a kid could ever do. Um, but for the average adult male um, and female, you really have to have some type of instructor or someone at that front desk that really can immediately let them know that they're not going to get killed. You know, <laughs> they can do it in a way that's safe. And this gal who's running the UFC gym where I train out of Clearwater, uh, Clearwater, Florida, she's done a great job. She has like you're doing multiple different instructors instead of just one school, one style, one instructor, multiple things, you know. And we have just loved it. And we've we've had we fit in there with the electric glove. And we have this MMA there, this, there's a jiu-jitsu, um, and you know, I get along with all the instructors. And you know, we, I come from it from such a different way because I do have some type of uniform. I do have them wear belts, and we are working, but we're also doing a lot of boxing, a lot of kickboxing, a lot of really structural things. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a unique dynamic. But because when I've gone into this place, I'm, you know, I'm, the, I'm the, the new guy on the block. I have to go into the ring. And it's funny nowadays, back in the day, the ring was, oh, you know, now because everybody's used to a cage, they're putting their gloves or bags on it. They have no respect for that ring. Now I come in, I'm, it's time to get respect back to the ring. But it's 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 just different. It's just, I love them. They're great people. And and, I, and, and a lot of young people who are participating in the way the instructor uh, and the way it's presented, it works. And I, I was, I'm very impressed with it, that they're able to be as successful as they have because that type of school um, is a hard thing to do. I think the way you're doing it, it sounds like you're doing kind of the same thing. 
instead of just relying on one system and doing one thing, you're giving them a multiple choices, whether it's just fitness or MMA or jujitsu. So you get a, a larger market. That's not if I was ever to open another school, which I probably won't, that's how I would do it. You know, that's, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I, I forget what year it was. It's been like seven years ago or something now, but Chris Carlino, one of the owners of this grappling tournament, the AGS, um, he was doing this road trip. He's like, Hey, hop in with me. I'm going to go find a venue in Memphis and we we're going to do a tournament there. And we went and ironically, this friend of mine who owns a gym in Memphis was working at the venue. It was like this community center and he was their accountant. <laughs> and now he owns a, a, a mega gym that's martial arts and CrossFit uh, in Memphis, but he happened to be working there, you know, and, but we went to Memphis Judo and Jiu-Jitsu, um, and at that time, and they may still be, but they were the largest square footage academy in the in North America, right? 35,000 square feet, uh, which that's insane. But, you know, I, I, we walk in, there's a huge Jiu-Jitsu mat. Then there was this big fitness kickboxing, and I knew what they were doing with fitness kickboxing because we were just starting to do fitness kickboxing, and they just had rows of bags, and then behind that, there was this elevated spring judo floor, and there were people doing judo. And then the guy giving us a tour is like, oh, come back here. Was, this is where we do our striking. You know, and I was just like, oh, man. So then you have a boxing program over here. Oh, and they're like, oh, that's the youth wrestling program in the back. There's wrestling mats in the back. The guy's training MMA in a cage over here. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, this is all functioning independently their their you know demographics for each and probably yeah some crossover but and you know i kind of came back and was like running multiple classes at a time on multiple mats and or and or rooms and that's we just started evolving our our program with that and now have hot yoga and fitness kickboxing and different kids classes going on at the same time so we're out of here at a reasonable hour. That's another thing. I mean, man, I the, the I'm turning 36 um, next month, and but but damn, I get tired by the end of the day now. Like I never would imagined in my 20s. You know what I'm saying? Like I'd be training all day in my 20s, teach class three times a day, and then at night eat dinner and stay up till midnight. You know, and now I'm falling asleep before 10, and am totally wiped out by 8 p.m. <laughs> You know, and it just it's not going to get any easier, my my friend. You know, it, it's it's interesting you say that um, because I think uh, that is a that's a that's a that's a thing of the future. That's I think that's how they're they're going to survive. And the fact that you're not, you know, from where I came from in the in the one style school, you had to train people. You had to get them the black belt, and you had to teach them to teach. And this whole, I mean, it was years before they had the ability at a good school to teach the system. And where you can just get out there and just judge a guy purely on his skills and his relationship to people and then decide to hire him or not, bring him in or bring him or not. And just as long as they're following the guidelines you set, I could see how that would be great. I mean, it's just you're, in this, you're like that whole system, that whole program is not your responsibility. It's his responsibility not to fuck it up or, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you're now you've kind of... It, it's so different than than what I came up with. Again, I came up, I grew up in, and still you'll see this at Taekwondo schools and all, where you have the grandmaster and everything comes up behind it. And those, like I said, unless they're doing the after school, it's pretty much impossible to do that. But what you're saying, 
you know, like I said, I'm seeing it happen at UFC Clearwater, uh, great place. You know, it, it seems like that is the ticket. If you're going to look for something, um, you know, that's not just for kids, um, it seems like the right, right, right route to go. Do you teach the kids program? Is it your system? Yes, I teach some of the kids' classes. We have broke them. Broke. I don't teach any three to four year olds or five to sevens because I suck at those things. Um, but my lovely wife, Cora, she is the the greatest. Actually, you know, we just somebody that's one of our bite belts in our system. That's um, she's been training with us for uh, eight years or something. Uh, she just took over the three to four year old programs and started working for us full time. You know, so it's like we've been in business 10 years and now have bench strength with instructors and bite belts that have been with us. And then too, have had people ironically just move to Arkansas from San Diego that are bite belts under Eddie Bravo. You know, it's just like, what? And it's like what you were saying. It's like, no, Hey, you know, I do teach this no gi class over here, sir. But you know, I also teach these gi classes and uh, you are not a gi guy. You're a no gi guy, you know, like, and he's teaching every Monday here now, definitely if he sticks around, but moved here for cheaper taxes, lives right uh, right down the road from us and uh, is building a house, uh, like $25 a year property tax is why he said he moved. You know, come from San Diego, I'm sure. Oh my God, yeah. You know, I went to San Diego and I, you know, I found it was, you know, I, I, I'm on the beaches of Florida, Clearwater, St. Pete beaches. I've lived here, you know, pretty much my whole life. But I went to San Diego, man. It was the best weather. I mean, I just loved it. I'd go there every year until you see what the property values, even back then, were at least three times what they were here in Florida. And uh, you know, that place is a very expensive place to live in California. There are a lot of people are leaving it. Yeah, no, and I mean, and they're coming places like, um, you know, Texas. Yeah, Florida, Louisiana, Tennessee, North Carolina. I thought I'd one of my top instructors just moved to North Carolina. Like, oh, you know, the, the pandemic proved to her that she could do her job. She's a fraud agent for a huge um, uh, investment company. She could do her job at home. She did not have to be. And all of a sudden, you know, South Florida housing prices flew up and she just took off. But uh, yeah, that's it's, it's interesting. I'm, you know, as we go back to kind of um, the, 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 the um, different type of structures and when you come teach your classes, uh, is it your system that is the kids' system, and you have an adult program that you kind of oversee, or are all of your programs basically subcontractors, instructors that you just hired to run? Are you kind of kind of mix it, mix them both? It's um, so if I like we with the kids' program, they do. I have it divided into a rotating block curriculum. We do three months of at a time. So two of those blocks out of the six are superfoot material, you know, and um, another one we do that I, I've seen, like um, we call it ABCD, but it's basically everything I've ever seen and trained out of like JKD and Eric Paulson and Dan Asano and Greg Nelson and sure. that branch, which is really, if we were saying boxing, it's four straight punches, jab, cross, hook, cross, jab, cross, body, hook, cross, jab, cross, uppercut, cross which I also have seen in every striking art I've ever trained. You know? yeah, of course. And, um, you know, we also, from the beginning, and, and sort of from that same circle with some of my original instructors, had had um, from ties into Chai's Muay Thai, 
which a lot of those JKD guys got their tie boxing from Arjarn Chai. So I've followed his stuff for years. But, you know, I do sort of like a two super foot blocks with them. I do two uh, Muay Thai blocks with them. And then I'll do two more of these systematic, we call it the ABCD, what I mentioned. We'll add kicks. And, you know, and, and if you go over and uh, you look at. So I, guess, I guess my, my question to you is you, that's your system that you're teaching the kids. Yes. Sir. And then you have other guys that come in that basically do their own thing or they have to. Are you trained in the teacher system that you want them to teach? A little of both, you know, it depends with the adults. It's more, uh, it's more open. Like if we're talking jujitsu, for example, um, it'll be themed. Hey guys, all the black belts, the people that are going to teach you. Know, I got a guy that teaches all of the morning classes. That's the chief of campus police at the college here. And it's, Hey, we're doing mount escapes this month. You know, we did a uh, half guard last month and let's see if we can really be tying those things together and, you know, let's be talking. I train with a couple of those guys every Sunday morning. And, you know, there's uh, we do videos with the curriculum as well for the students and the instructors. Um, we do quarterly meetings. Uh, and, you know, that's just was like it's a coordinated effort and it trickles down. Like, you know, we we have the, our youth and teen martial arts program. We have a, a youth and teen jujitsu program, both, you know, and then different age brackets and we've got to the point where the classes are so big, we've had to break it up into like white, yellow, orange belts, green, blue, purple belts, red and brown belts, you know, and um, because each class will have over 20 kids in it. So, you know, and they do uh, like if it's pretty much the same if what we're working on in, you know, uh, the kickboxing program for my adults is going to be a more telescoped up version of the basic block my kids are working if that makes sense. We have a Muay Thai program as well, and it runs independently, but I'm I'm also showing in my kickboxing program, which about half super foot and then half, you know, what we're doing in other striking with the boxing program or what have you. But we have uh, about over 20 people involved besides my wife and I. Some of them are really um, pivotal employees. That, like I said, a couple of them are sort of like assistant managers for us, Heather and Hannah. And then there, everybody else is assisting. We, you know, some people are. Are on. you doing traditional material? I mean, like old style four balance, back balance, katas, anything we, like that. I, we don't do katas, uh, but I am working with Mr. Dring um, on my taekwondo. Uh, I've been training taekwondo with him for a couple of years. I've only tested one time, but I've done fifteen private lessons with him. I'm working on the first three forms, um, and just. I go up there and I work mostly striking for like Superfoot or Joe Lewis stuff with him um, for everything else we're doing. But I'm also working on patterns. Just I didn't have when I started training those six. You know, when I came in, it was not good boxing in 2013. That's why I started really pursuing training boxing, started a boxing club, have just just people that just box uh, in a boxing class. Um, but you know, it was just mostly tie boxing. And then we didn't even do gi jujitsu at the gym. I started off at. we did no gi only first. And, uh, then, the, then they eventually added a gi program. And now that is just like jujitsu is widely popular. But, um, you know, when I was starting off, it was, it was this weird wave that was right at the time that the ultimate fighter in the Forrest Griffin, Stephen Bonner, like I was I, in that generation of people that 
you know, the gym was existing in town. I wasn't even really watching that stuff on Spike TV a whole lot. But a friend of mine, he's like, hey, you know, we just graduated high school. Let's go down to this this MMA gym, you know, like, and, you know, and, and we just went in on a whim. And, you know, I, I'm a guy that, own, that still owns that gym. I still train with him, friend of mine uh, to this day. But, um, you know, you, know, you should have, if you're, you know, if you're exploring Taekwondo, you know, forms, you should explore the Joe Lewis patterns. I mean, you know, do you know the combat sequences? Yeah, you know I mean, I, I've, I've been working Joe, with Matador. I teach them all the time. He's 12 of them. And, and they really, when, and if you look at the interactive drills, what they do is they give you um, um, some complex, especially the more advanced ones, the, uh, the Mike Tyson, um, the Brown Bomber. You know, he even has one called the Ali, which is hard as hell, it's all footwork drills. But he's, in, 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 again, giving you the skills to implement a lot of the strategies that he teaches. And from a, from a, um, uh, technical skill, it just gives you a lot of moves that would only the most advanced fighters can do in an exchange. You know, most guys are not going to take a little sidestep right while they're exchanging with somebody else. It's very difficult. Or to understand the snuff in, left body hook, slide, hook cross, finish off with a kick. And those are ingrained into those interactive, and in, in those we call them interactive drills or, or combat sequences. So now the body's been taught to do the method. At least you know how to do it. And now understanding how to react to it all is one thing, but the pattern, you know, that we always break up into modules and, and like, like finishing, like most guys, you know, they engage and they have a lot of trouble disengaging or understanding how to disengage, or sometimes understanding that at the end of engaging, it's best to come in and either, you know, if you're grappling or just to snuff a guy and get inside the elbows, but you don't want to step straight back. So Joe created a lot of great movements, great side steps, slide steps. All the things that pros do, you know, get liver shot, slide step, hook cross, or weave under the hook, side step, cross hook, come back to the hook, finish the kick. But it's taught, and again, this with a traditional aspect. You know, Joe started in Okinawa, so he's very, very traditional, and still stayed traditional all the time in the United States competed. And he just saw that something was wrong. This, this is not real fighting, especially when he went into a boxing club and started to really exchange with some of those guys. And Joe, I will never say was the greatest kickboxer you know, ever, but one, probably my opinion, the greatest martial artist of our time, so that, and definitely the greatest karate fighter. But his involvement to be able to go from his late 20s and 30s to a level of boxing from traditional karate, because they're so diametrically different, and, and be that good, and to be able to be sparring with Bone Crusher Smith. Bone Crusher Smith went 12 rounds with Tyson. Um, you know, to be able to train the same gym as Kenny Norton did, to be able to work with those guys. Joe got, that's where his brilliance was. And then the strategies that he learned from that, and then to be able to make it into it and teach it in a way that's structured like traditional martial arts. I mean, if you've been with boxing coaches or kickboxing coaches and fight coaches, it's not nearly as detailed. It's not, you know, Joe's more, you know, 70% uh, on your right leg, rotate, you know, turn your heel up. I mean, really just like you would traditional martial arts, but teach practical martial arts. And it's an interesting way to, I think, um, again, prove a, a, the pattern and, and that type of precise uh, structure works. I mean, it, you know, it's worked forever, 200 years in, in, in karate and Korea and Taekwondo and all those things. But applying it to modern martial arts is a different story. I just see the more guys get to fighting, the less detail they are in their instruction. Now, usually it's more like, you know, follow here, you want to kind of turn here, as opposed to really talking 
about the intricate movements and the you know, exact body position like you would if you were doing like your Taekwondo kata's. You know how precise those kata's are. That same mindset. That's what Joe taught me. That's how I teach. So it's easier for people to understand it because you just break it down. And over time, you know, three, four years to make black belt, they can fight. They have fighting skills. They've been, they've, you know, it's been ingrained and it's been put under pressure and they sparred. You know, you can't learn how to fight unless you spar uh, in some capacity. Uh, and, and it's funny because as I get older and I spar, um, one thing I don't want to lose is speed. That's what most older guys lose. They lose speed and they lose the ability to react to speed. So you have to see speed. And what did you guys guys do when they get older? They slow down their speed, their their motion. And I try to get my my older students to do the exact opposite. I have guys in their fifties and sixties farm, you know, just work on speed but not heavy contact. You know, put on rib guards if you're gonna can't control the take of the body, but don't stop speed. Speed's the most important thing. Footwork, movement, speed, all those things as you age. Because you look at fighters, a lot of people in general more flat footed, less mobility less movement of the head unless you just work it, work it, work it. So that's you know kind of the, my approach, you know, with world champion MA and what I'm trying to do, you know, with with the uh, the programming that we're creating, you know, with UFC gym and um and just you know teaching the fundamentals. So it's whether it's a high school kid or you know a, a 50 year old uh, uh, executive, um anybody can do it. You know, I've got a six year old brown belt. I got to have a 72 year old that was trained with me not that long ago that they can do what they can. And, and you look at, especially the, the uh, interactive drills of Joe's. So like the 38 jab, slip, slip, body, body, hook, weave under, hook, cross, step over, cross, hook, kick. It's, it has rhythm and timing in it. It's fluid motion. And boy, is that much better than, ah, ah, you know, for older people. So being able to move almost like a dancer and put rhythm and timing to it, 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 it it's much more um, engulfing than just uh, 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 and that, it's, it's, it's very interesting. You might want to explore him a little bit. Yeah, um, no, that, and, uh, understand the, the, the concepts that he's trying to imply there. It's pretty amazing stuff. Where, where I first, I mentioned this earlier, but where I first saw, so when I got uh, the manual to start digging in and I'd, I'd borrowed Danny Dring's manual. You know, and, and, you know, was looking and like copied down the, the sets and, you know, there's so many great snapshots of like, you know, if you, a metaphor would be like looking at a football play or something, like we were talking boxing, but there's so many snapshots of like, man, that's just a fundamental. That's a, you know, you see that, like I was watching national golden gloves matches with one of our boxers yesterday, who's about to compete in state. And it's like, we, we were like double jab cross, jab body cross hook. Like we were just like basic, 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 but cross hook, hook cross, you know, slide, oh, this guy's got a lot of good lateral movement. But that's, those sets are, you know, man, there's so much good stuff in them. And then some of them, they're long, you know? But I, what I like doing is, you know, I like shadow boxing a lot, but I hate uh, just being like, all right, guys, shadow box. You know, and well, you know, the thing is, you can't look at them that way because honestly, these interactive drills, two things you're right about the pattern being so long, but that's again, Ikatas. We've all done Ikatas in the past. Yeah. And the difference, honestly, if you really, because he, the names he gave them, you can kind of research the, the theory and who's the guy, the Benny Briscoe. Now, Benny Briscoe is one of the best fighters to not win a world title when a world title mattered in the 70s, fought Marvin Hagler. 
And Joe created an interactive drill based on the fact that this guy was really, really good on inside fighting. So you understand that perspective. So you put yourself against the bag or even with mitts or with a partner and you just do elements of it. You don't have to do the whole pattern, like the hook cross at a really beginning. That's really hard to do, to be able to go straight from here and in that six, eight inches, boom, come back and get, get a snapping hook, boom, boom, and then do two of them. And you know, that, that's how it is meant to be done. They're not meant to be, I mean, honestly, once you get the whole pattern down, the fluidity of it and the movement is beautiful. It's like dance. It's, you know, it's a man. I mean, it, it, a lot of people move and, and, and do different you know, aerobics or whatever as movement. I did the cardio Friday thing, but there's something about moving in rhythm and timing and time and really trying to focus on that, not just hitting a bag hard or, 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 or working out hard, but really feeling your body move, you know, in rhythm. And Joe really focused on that. That was a big part of his, of his footwork and his interactive drills. And so that takes first the ability to understand proper execution, understand the force pattern, as we all know. But then you have this whole other mindset that you can really explore, you know, through these interactive drills. That, you know, that once you get real good, we always like to think of the, 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 the offense is a little faster than the defense. So defense, offense is going to be double time, boom, boom, boom. Defense is going to be single time. So you just start working that because one's reactionary, one's not. And over time, it's it's an amazing thing. It really is explored properly. I think you'd find it a lot more uh, uh, engaging. And, you know, nothing against Taekwondo. I did it for years, but Taekwondo forms. And I, I challenge you, my friend. Um, you know, go to my website, World Champion MA. I got a whole thing that says Joe Lewis. I go through them. If you want to work, I'll work with you. I'd love to teach you to at least one of them. Because once you get one, you'll be hooked. You understand what I'm talking about. Take a whole different mindset. It completely changes the way you look, at least at striking. Um, because there's a lot more there, especially as you age. If you want to be still inspired as a martial artist, you know, when you're pushing 60 like I am. Um, you know, I did a 30-minute workout this morning, just today, for you know, 20 minutes on the heavy bag, starts off five-minute warm-up, then us off calisthenics. Man, that's a great way to start a day. So um, we're going to be starting some podcasts at Streamline that I was talking to you about. That's going to be coming out. Um, and I'm going to really try to let people kind of get a little bit of bite-sized pieces of what I'm talking about with the Joe Lewis material. And that, especially for us older people that are looking to do something much more mentally engaged and keep this attached to this, um, I got a lot of stuff coming out in the future. Nice, nice. Well, you know, keep me in the loop on all that, man, because I will definitely, um, you know, share, plug, promote any way I can. Um, you know, one thing you mentioned a second ago that is one of the, I would say, bigger things that I've got that I, it's ingrained in me from Danny, training with Danny Dring or just like that I still pass on to my fighters is that concept of closing the door with the kick. Right, right. But yeah, that is so closing the door with the kick or just. Just, you know, I'll never forget when I first started working with Joe, I did, I was doing kicking drills, lead leg round kick, double lead leg round kick, triple. So I was doing tournament martial arts, right? And some of them would progress. I remember Joe saying, and this is when I first met him, he watched me and was, I said, what, he goes, what are you doing at the end? I says, you know, the fight doesn't end just because you got done kicking. You know, and that this was such a revolutionary idea that that, you know, I'm just working these kicking drills but you have to understand the fight doesn't end just because you put the foot down. You have to work on how to disengage, how to come back, all that stuff. That's so much more detailed because it's based on not getting hit. 
you know, a lot of people focus on the concept of hitting, but the first thing I do watching anybody, what do they do after they punch and kick? Do they pause? Is there a linger there? And you talk about, you know, disengaging, same thing. You, Joe always taught me, you know, we get hit in gaps. So if I step back and I leave that gap open, then he can fill that gap. But if as I step away, I put the jab on him or I put a lead leg kick or something just to fill that gap, then you're far less likely for having your opponent to be able to come after you. Those, those are the type of details that Joe put in his system that it was complete. That when you attack, you've got to, you know, you've got to have a, a, a plan after you attack. Again, if you're either moving, you're firing, or you're standing there waiting to get hit. So um, interesting stuff. I find it, you know, the, that the whole complete. That's why when I hit a heavy bag, um, I don't, you know, I have a class two of a one called a fiber fit, three minutes on, minute rest, multiple kickboxing, calisthenics, and some stuff. Pretty cool class, especially if you like a lot of changes. And then I have my kickboxing 30 minute class. When you go 20 straight minutes nonstop, but you're, it's still round. You build around, you build a combination, you, you know, do kick independently, then you add it. You're doing two left side, two right side. You end up 20 solid minutes with some burns, nonstop kicking. That's a great workout. I mean, it's, you're sweating like crazy, but at the same time, you're working your skills. You're engaged physically, mentally, emotionally in that workout, you know, and it's amazing. And then you sit down and then you, you know, you cross your feet and first stretch. Best time to stretch is when you're really warm. You know that, you know, you stretch your best after a workout, not before the damn thing. You do it, you warm up, but you stretch when you're warm, really warm. So sit down, stretch, and then maybe, you know, a round of meditation of just relaxing, settling the body, the mind. Because, you know, I, I found I when I meditate, you know, we, especially you'll find this as you get older, your mind speeds up, it doesn't slow down. And you're going to have so much more stuff in your mind that clearing your mind gets harder as you get older, it just does. And so meditation is really good at trying to get the mind to singular, go to a sing, like focusing on just on breathing or the, the, the chirp of a bird. So when I get to that point, I have found after a really high intensity, loud music workout, that I'm much, my body is much more easily goes to that place. It's like, okay, ah, rest time. So, you know, 30, you know, three minutes, sit down three minutes and just try to clear your mind. I mean, this is good stuff, you know, trying to build the body through martial arts training, but also at the same time, getting the aerobic conditioning, the anaerobic conditioning, and all those things that we need to, you know, do um, to keep us healthy. For sure, for sure. Hey, let's, um, let me ask you this too, you know, and it, it'd be kind of, uh, maybe, a, a a long winded or maybe even a question you want to think about for a sec, but man, talking to you and just different people that trained with Joe over the years and, and him being a major focus of this podcast, uh, I've got to hear some incredible stories about that guy, you know, like, and have heard just listening to other podcasts, incredible stories about him doing you know chin push-ups after he had brain surgery and shit and shit like that on a focus mitt you know to seminar oh, yeah. that's uh, joe but you know like what is you know joe lewis uh, you know tell me something about it. like what is your you know standout joe lewis story? i'll tell you a story i'll tell you it's a good story and i have a lot of them you realize i you know joe and i started training together when i was like 21 22 but i gave his 60th birthday he came and lived i've had a great townhouse on the water he'd come stay with me for back in my ubc days loved all the girls everything it was just fun we spent a lot of time together um so 
So I know Joe, but this is the best, uh, one of the better stories. I went to his funeral, you know, and I actually spoke at his funeral. And why I was in line, um, I don't forgot what I was in line for. Um, but it wasn't for the viewing, but to look at some things. A gentleman, a black gentleman, came over and, and said, "Jim, can I talk to you for a minute?" And I go, "Sure. What's what kind of can I, can I do it in private?" And I go, "You know, this is at Joe Lewis's funeral, so of course, you know." So we actually go into a private room, you know, in the in the funeral hall. And he goes, "You know, you're you're the only reason I'm here." And I go. I, you know, I just, I, I, really? He goes, yeah. He says, you know, my brother used to have the large convention, the NAPMA convention. And, you know, of course, Joe Lewis is at the front table, and I'm sitting next to Joe, and a lot of people, big table, he's been at conventions, you know, that stuff like. Well, this guy brought, you know, a few of his students, a couple of students, and again, it's, you know, a black gentleman, so he's, he, well, he's coming up with his students, and he wanted to introduce himself to Joe, and, um, and his students. So he goes to Joe and goes, you know, Mr. Lewis, I just want you to, you know, I just want to, you know, shake your hand. And, and people don't know Joe. Joe is a always looking for a laugh. He always is. He's always trying to make fun. He's trying to, and sometimes he doesn't understand. He didn't understand that at that appropriate time. So he goes, he goes, oh, yeah, look at this guy. He wants to shake my hand. And, you know, he wants to really, I mean, that was just Joe. And he was kidding around, but the guy said I, I was incredibly embarrassed by him doing that. And so what I, he tells me, I do not remember this. To be honest with you, I do not remember it. But he says what I did was I stood up and I immediately started introducing him to everybody else who was around the table. He said, you, you made sure that I talked to everybody and realized that Joe, um, that Joe was just kidding around. That he... I mean, here he comes, he comes to his funeral, probably out of state. That was Joe. You know, he was a, uh, there's no way like, I mean, you, you meet very few people, but you, you know, think about it. Bruce Lee was voted top 100 most influential people of the United States or the world, excuse me, the world. And Joe was right there with him. And he was as smart, if not smarter, and especially when it comes to martial arts. He was a unique, unique person. Um, especially when it came to, uh, you know, having fun and making martial arts fun. I tell you, I have my favorite shot is Joe turning to the camera with a big smile, holding mitts. At the same time, you can see me with this really grimace face because that's not me. When I trained, man, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was a pain in the ass. I, I didn't smile. I was very, very focused and I got the job done. Uh, but Joe was the exact opposite. And, and, that's the most I, I remember with Joe, you know, the, just the fun times. And, and also, you know, it's one thing when somebody, your dad believes in you, your dad's got to believe in you. But when Joe Lewis believes in you, really believes in you, and is telling people about you, man, it's not much but greater than that. Because he is, you know, definitely has got to go down as one of the top, you know, greatest martial artists ever, definitely in the, in the, of the 20th century. So, yeah, I have a real, really great memory of that. And, you know, the guy, of course, you know, we parted ways, but I'll never forgot, you know, somebody came out to me at Joe Lewis's funeral and, you know, told me that story. Yeah, now that's, that's awesome, man. And I, I think, um, just to echo what you just, you know, Joe, Joe Lewis holds a very special place in martial arts history. 
and and in the history of martial arts in this country and i mean if you just look at all of the people that he influenced people like yourself and and many others that you know passed on things that he had to say and strategies and and his his art you know and and, uh i think that it definitely created a ripple or a reverberation in you know it's like a blip on the radar in in the timeline of martial arts in this country uh and martial arts overall like you know it's just um no i know i i totally agree with you i mean um you know bruce lee really was the one who launched it got people motivated to martial arts in america um and then you had people define it you have to put joe lewis bill wallace jeff smith you know doesn't get nearly enough but when it comes to you know schools and successive schools and still being a butt kicker and you know he was freaking doing martial arts demo with June Ree on the White House lawn. Uh, Jeff is a freaking, you know, that's a one badass. And also, I've, you know, I've known Joe Jeff Smith quite a while. He also coached for me and all that. Uh, he was also, Mike Anderson said he was the baddest of them all. And Mike, and the Jeff Smith was one bad dude. Uh, and, um, you know, and then you have also then, of course, Chuck Norris. And those are the reasons. I mean, if it wasn't for those guys, I would never have done martial arts. I thought it was geeky as hell. Everybody wore these short uniforms and looked stupid to me, even as a teenager in the 70s. But Joe Lewis, Bill Wallace, you know, that wear white and blue uniform. They're standing there holding trophies at the World Championships with Telly Zavallis. The thing, that was it, man. I was like, I want to be those guys, you know, because they were kings. They were treated like kings, too. They just didn't make, you know, nobody was paying any big money. But they were still, you know, they had not hell of a lot. I mean, you think of all the people who come out of martial arts to do great things, you know, Ronda Rousey or and, uh, Ernie Reyes and Ernie Reyes Jr. And, and I mean, there's just so many. You know, it's uh, Cynthia Rothrock. Um, my, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's just so many of them that are uh, that's had great success. You know, but Julie yeah. is not from fighting. No one was doing it. They either made it in the movies or or something else. I mean, look at Billy Blanks, perfect example. I remember Billy, I went and took his class, you know, and I never forgot, we still went and took his class and we all were talking and I was walking out of his gym with my brother and I turned to my brother, John, and go, man, Jeff, you know, he was just got, starting to uh, launch uh, Kaibo and he goes, you know, and he had told us all about it. And I turned to my brother right as we're walking out, man, Kaibo, you know, that's a great idea, but that name will never fly, you know, $400 million later, you know, he, I mean, I saw fucking, uh, you know, uh, excuse me, but, um, um, uh, you know, Bart Simpson did, you know, Tybo. I mean, Bart Simpson did Tybo. I mean, Billy was one of us. I coached one of his guys in the World Championships in, you know, in London. I mean, what he did was pretty damn amazing. I don't think a lot of people give nearly enough credit for what Billy did. And he made a fortune. Um, and, and just impressive. I mean, he's still, in, and what he was smart about is he, once the market dried up here, he'd go over to Japan or he'd go over to England and, you know, he'd bring it back up again. So, you know, it's interesting. And you talk about boxing and you talk about, you know, MMA and what, what's going to make a difference. We got to have stars. I mean, there is nobody out there other than Tyson Fury that interests me at all. And John Johnson, yes, but I didn't, I wasn't motivated enough to go out and find friends and go watch the fight. I didn't watch the fight. I just, you know, ah, you know, I wish he was a little better person. I'll find out about it tomorrow. And I'm glad I didn't, you know, two minutes in, he's freaking just, you know, chokes the guy out. You know, again, I don't know. I always have, I'm very suspect about fighting at the highest level, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, man, a lot of, a lot of great conversation today, Jim. Uh, and I do think, uh, I think it's real important. Like one of my motivations of doing this is, you know, we don't want to lose this history. 
it's important to preserve some of this and people know about this guy. A lot of times uh, when I'm, you know, newer people I'll be around, I'll say Joe Lewis uh, and I will have to say the kickboxer because they're like, of course, it's the boxer, which apparently that happened in magazines and stuff when he was coming up to him. Well, you know, it's, I mean, it's a lot of it's fading. It it just is. I mean, I even go to a a place that he should be revered because Joe was the greatest karate fighter, tournament fighter ever. I don't think anybody can argue that. Um, and you go to my last time I went to the U.S. Open. You know, know Mike Sawyer and those guys, and I actually went and competed uh, when, in my fifties. And you know, I looked around. I went to all the places. I was looking for Joe Lewis or Bill Wallace, anything. You know, book anything. You know, and there was nothing. There was nothing. Um, you know, that's tied to the history. You know, if it's not happening there. Sure, they're going to be UFC. So it's up to me, up to students of mine and you to keep these guys alive. Because I'm, you know, you know, of course I'm a Joe Lewis fan, but he was, you know, I'm a, you ever heard about the, the rock group? Yes. You ever heard of them? Mm-hmm. All right. They were what unique about them to me was that they musicians were much better musicians. They all came from classical training and so forth, much better than the guys, the regular rockers. And I found that really appealing. I became a big fan. And I looked at Joe almost the same way. Joe was just a step above. He was just better than anybody else I trained with when it comes to being able to take it not from just a technical point of view, but make it live, make it something that you can really focus on from a, uh, from a beginning to end. Uh, you know, it's just interesting. I've taken a lot of seminars. And one thing back in the day with Joe, there was nothing that was ever repeated in his seminars. He always had a different perspective. And I always learned. And that... I honestly cannot say, and I've taken a lot of seminars, but I can say that about anybody else, like I could about Joe. So, um, yeah, I mean, Joe has a lot of influence on me, has a lot of influence on the system, but I do believe if you watch almost any major fight today, the, the real title holders, the good champions, are utilizing so much of the strategies and the skills. Because, you know, we all know that, as Bruce Lee said, it's not the you know, it's not knowing 10,000 techniques. It's the guy who does one technique 10,000 times. Well, Joe was about doing it 10,000 times, but not changing the technique, but changing the strategy in which you hit the guy with the technique. That, and that's a whole other thing that most karate guys just, or, or trainers, only touch on. I mean, only the best. You know, Manuel Student, you know, uh, uh, you know, all those great fighters, or great trainers. Uh, you know, Tyson's uh, uh, trainer. Now, those guys are just so much, you know, how long have, have people been fighting for money in boxing? I mean, it's evolved for so long and that's where the best. So Angelo Dundee also hitting a blank here. So, all right, my friend, thank you so much. Thanks, Jim. Uh, it's been great. Hopefully, uh, you know, we can do it again someday. I, I, I would love to. Uh, love having uh, this conversation with you, man. It's been awesome. Yeah. Hey, when I get this thing up and running, I, I'd love to give you a call and, um, and maybe talk again. For sure, man. Give me a shout. Thank you. Take care. We'll see you, man. Have a good one. Bye.